The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Steady Investor with Mark Vickery and Mitch Zacks. In our program today, we'll help you get started or continue to build your nest egg with some of the best practices for retirement planning. It's time to start right now. Here are your hosts, Mitch Zacks and Mark Vickery. Welcome listeners of VoiceAmerica.com's business channel. You're listening to The Steady Investor, sponsored by Zacks Investment Management. I'm your co-host, Mark Vickery, joined today by the other co-host, Mitch Zacks, Portfolio Manager and Founding Principal at Zacks Investment Management. Good morning, Mitch. Good morning, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here on Thursday. We've got some rain in Chicago, which is not as bad as what they're getting in Florida right now. Well, boy, that's true. Absolutely. I do want to talk about that in in just a minute, actually, because I wanted to to ask you a couple questions about certain things regarding that. But first, I wanted to say, if you're listening to The Steady Investor and you've been listening to us for a while, um, you can call in and get a a free stock market outlook by calling this number. It's 800-245-2943. Um, uh, Mitch, tell us a little bit about the, the free stock market outlook uh, or the stock market outlook. It's updated every every two months or so. Uh, John Blank, who's the chief equity strategist at the research side of the business, mm-hmm. uh, who has a PhD uh, from uh, MIT, uh, writes a outlook uh, looking at forecasts of various asset classes. Right. And uh, we, you know, we read it, we we use it uh, sometimes. Uh, you know, but we make our own decisions on the investment management side of the business. But it is good research uh, for someone looking to decide uh, what they think is going to happen to the equity markets. What do they think is going to happen uh, with the fixed income markets? We have another research report, which is a more of an economic outlook uh, mm-hmm. that contains some information in, in terms of what what's going on uh, in terms of the equity markets. And then, uh, you know, a couple of the portfolio managers and myself have a monthly uh, meeting uh, where we're looking at a meta-analysis of various uh, uh, models looking at equity uh, potential performance, okay. uh, essentially models that they're not market timing models. They're really models telling us whether the market is likely to appreciate at a high level or a low level over the next five to 10 years. And based on that, we make some decisions and some of the automated advice uh processes that we offer. Very good. And John Blank has actually been a guest on The Steady Investor as yeah, well. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's quite capable and uh, he writes a very good research report and he has some very good uh, insights. And so, uh, you know, we're making this available to listeners of the podcast. And if you uh, give us a call in, uh, we will uh, provide a copy of our uh, stock market outlook. Very good. I'm going to give you that number one more time. It's 800-245-2943. As a matter of fact, that's also the number to call uh, if you'd like to uh, receive some more information about how to best invest uh, your assets for retirement. uh, You can talk to a representative here at Zach's Investment Management um, right here in Chicago. Again, that number 800-245-2943. Two nine four three. Uh, now, Mitch, you were saying it's raining here in Chicago. It's nothing like they're getting on the uh, on the coast of Florida right now. Hurricane Matthew threatens uh, the coast. Uh, this, this is a deadly Category Four storm. Already claimed the, at least twenty two lives in Haiti. Four more in the Dominican okay. Republic. 
Matthew may be the worst storm to hit the southeast coast of the U.S. since Hurricane Andrew 24 mm -hmm. years ago. You remember what devastation that caused. Yeah. Um, major storms like these represent one of the biggest fears investors face. This is something we were talking about a little bit, right. like one of the main things alongside oh, things like terror strikes and other tragic circumstances. They have the ability to decimate economies near term. Um, insurance firms, retailers, manufacturing, construction, they all okay. stand to take a hit. How do you see this event affecting the steady investor? Uh, it's it's another you know event in the long litany of events that uh, people uh, should basically ignore. And it, it's hard to explain this to an investor who, who has not invested in the equity markets for a long period of time. Uh, but a Category 4 storm, yes, it's a, it's a horrible storm. It's, it's a tremendous uh, tragedy is no different than any other issue that the market or the economy has faced uh, historically. And so if you think about the worst storm that ever hit, the worst terrorist attack that ever hit, the worst this, the worst that, and uh, there might have been a negative impact on the market. Uh, in all of those instances, and let's start in 1950 okay. and go forward and talk about the Cuban Missile Crisis, talk about uh, presidential assassinations, talk about the Vietnam War, right. talk about the Korean War, uh, talk about uh, various uh, geopolitical threats that occurred, uh, talk about wars, real wars in the Middle East, talk mm -hmm. about uh, real conflicts, talk about real political unrest in the 60s, talk about stagflation in the 70s, uh, talk about, you know, uh, Japanese invasion of, uh, you know, U.S. real estate in the 80s, all these issues that uh, hinder the market. In the rearview mirror, they become noise towards the upward movement of the market over time, which is the triumph of the optimist. And it's very clear that this is uh, no different. And, uh, you know, you can look at it from a economic standpoint and there's a, uh, you know, uh, an old analysis that says, well, what if we took all the windows in a town and we suddenly broke them? Just we magically broke every window in the town. Okay. What is the effect on, uh, on the economy? And the answer uh, is that if you if you think of a small town and you say that's your economy, and all of a sudden all the windows in that town are broken, everyone has to run out and buy glass and pay someone to install new windows. That's true. So the net result is is that when there are these issues of uh, you know some sort of uh, destruction of property uh, that is not uh, does not occur with a change in psychology. So if people don't stop spending because of the hurricane, but instead there's property damage, mm -hmm. they return to their homes and they have to rebuild the home, that generally causes an increase in GDP activity. So it, it you know, the, the impact from a equity standpoint is you would want to say, well, you know, firms like Home Depot and Lowe's might see an increase in uh, earnings uh, greater than that they're expecting. Uh, firms in the construction business might see an increase in what they're expecting. Okay. Uh, some of the financial property and casualty insurance companies might see uh, people drawing down on those insurance claims. So you might want to try and do this. But again, this Category 4 storm is not unknown. It's There's millions of people evacuating. Right. So the market is already anticipating it. If you thought the storm was going to occur before anyone was reporting it, or you could predict the storm's occurrence before it was reported, there might be some information you could uh, trade on. 
But again, even if you could predict the storm's occurrence before it, it occurs and go long Home Depot and short the large property and casualty insurers, the net effect in terms of the long-term rate of return of the equity markets is uh, negligible. Mm. So there, there might be some trade there where you could make an extra percent or 2% or something of that sort over this period of time that no one anticipated the storm occurring. You're sitting there with the most sophisticated weather forecasting ability that anyone has had, and you can predict the storm is going to occur uh, you know, at the various earliest uh, indication of that. And at that point in time, you start going long Home Depot and you start shorting the property casualty insurers and you can make it, then everyone realizes the storm is occurring and they start taking the same sort of action. And that's so what you think has already been it's, it's already happened. So it's like by the time, it's, it's like you have people in hedge funds that are sitting there trying to predict weather patterns and trade upon them. Yeah. And that that's a that's a and they're highly sophisticated people. So the the market is discounting the information by the time it is popularized. So that by the time you're reading about the storm, it's it's already reflected in the market. And the the correct trade is actually you 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 buy the rumor and you sell the news. You do the opposite because <laughs> in fact the market sometimes overreacts to the information. But all of this is just noise for the steady investor, for someone who is a long-term investor and saying, I want to invest and hold my investment over the next seven to 10 years. Uh, you really don't want to react to storms, uh, to uh, geopolitical events, even to recessions. So okay. even when the recession occurs, the correct course of action is not to say, well, we think this recession is going to occur. Let's move out of the market and let's get back in when the recession, you, because you can't quite predict when the recession is going to occur. And even if you can, if you think about the fluctuations of the market, think about where the market was, you know, 30 years ago and think okay. about where the market is today. Now, during that period of time, there were all these corrections that occurred. There were all these crashes that occurred. And say, even if you could time them, you could get out and get back in, the actual effect on your total return would not be that great. So what-, what Even what, if you picked it perfectly Even if you picked time. it perfectly, you, you picked, you, you can, <clears throat> you know that the 87 crash is going to happen. You get out before the 87 crash, you get back in the 87 crash, you know, so what, you, you save an extra uh, 15, 20% annualized over a 20 year period. And that's if you have some magic crystal ball right. that doesn't exist. Which what is more have. likely is you get shaken out by the storm, by this event, by that event. You move out of the equity markets and you don't get back in uh, because you're waiting for something to occur. But that's and not keeping with the discipline. It's not. It does not generate wealth for people over time. So I am very, you know, we can talk about the storm's effect and we can talk about how storms and if you, you break all the windows in a town, GDP increases, earnings increase, and then government spending comes in to try and help people. Everyone gets this windfall. They have to go out and spend it. And net, 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 it's probably positive for the economy and for earnings because it causes spending to occur. But that is missing. That is sort of the, the missing the forest for the trees. And the forest really is in all these events. You have to understand that you you don't know exactly. Uh, when it's going to occur, when it's going to be discounted, but you know the long-term effect of the event on the market is not that great. Okay. And and so the correct thing is to it, you have to somewhat ignore the news. There's an old uh, this might be dating me too much, but there's an old hedge fund trader who was uh, you know somewhat sophisticated. He was successful for many years, and what he made is he made his uh, the the traders at his firm only read the National Enquirer. 
And the, the reason was not because he, he liked the national. This was back, you know, when it was a real uh, pulp thing. And the reason is he said any information you're reading in the Wall Street Journal, by the time it's published in the journal, is reflected in stock prices. Already. 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 The, the market is discounting the information. At this, uh, you know, semi, this uh, webinar we had, we, you know, everyone's very concerned about the election. Yeah. And the question is, well, how do changes in the uh, polls affect the market? And there's a general belief uh, that if Clinton wins, the market will go up by a bit. And if Trump wins, the market will go down. And the question is, well, does that uh, – what you actually do if you try and analyze this is you find that the market predates the polling by about seven to ten days. So you see the market move what you would expect it to based on changes in the polling data prior to the polling data occurring. Okay. And the reason is that is the most effective way of discounting information. A public equity market discounts information much quicker than the society is able to distribute the information even. And there's no guesswork. It's a It's trade. no guesswork. It's a, it's a, it, yeah. Right. And so the, the same thing happening with any news event. You have to look at that news event. You have to say, am I coming to a conclusion or does this allow me to get some sort of estimate of what's going to happen in the future that no one else knows and that is likely to occur. Yeah. And the answer is, especially with what's going on in Florida, you know, when when the morning news is, okay, the evacuation of the you know eastern side of Florida, mm -hmm. that information is in the markets already. 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 And so you, you don't say, well, the, when the storm hits, the market will start going down. If the market was going to go down when the storm was going to hit, it would start going down as soon as people started to perceive the storm was going to hit. And then when the storm actually hits, the market rallies. And so that's how the market sort of behaves uh, with information. But it's very important for individual investors to realize that for the most part, news has to be completely, I don't want to say completely ignored because that, that, that sounds, uh, but, but that's really what you have to do is you have to look at whatever news you're reading about mm -hmm. and ask, are you the only one who knows this information? Yeah. And if the answer is no, uh, it's reflected in stock prices, most right. likely. Right. Okay. Well, and to say nothing of the tragedy that that may occur and, and is occurring right now, we feel, uh, you know, uh, I, we feel I for mean, the people in that in that I mean, area. It's, it's it's a horrible thing to have to do it, but it is very good that we have a prediction that this is going to occur. You know, for sure. Years right. ago, there would be no prediction. Right. The event would occur in third world countries. They 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 don't have these predictions sometimes, and I think it's very very positive over time that we know this is going to occur and we can minimize a loss of life effectively. Right, right. That's that's very true, too. Um, I wanted to move to something else uh, that we heard yesterday. The International Monetary Fund, the okay. IMF, uh, publicly stated a concern about global debt levels going to all-time highs. Um, do you see the, a concern there um, if debt levels in China and, and elsewhere around the world uh, are at all-time highs? And what would that how, how would that affect uh, the U.S. markets? There is an issue with debt levels getting higher and higher and higher for two reasons. One, there's a historical precedent that when debt is taken out, people sometimes don't estimate what happens when things uh, turn south. Okay. So the, these uh, individuals take out a lot of debt. You saw this in 2007. Mm -hmm. They think housing prices will rise forever. Housing prices don't rise forever, and they're stuck with debt. Right. And then you have this issue of the of sort of the sovereign debt, the debt issued by countries, mm -hmm. as sort of uh, be, be sort of crowding out regular investment, so that instead of giving the debt 
uh, to a company or giving the you know making an equity investment in a corporation, they're buying uh, debt, and there is an issue that as the state the, itself. Is the, the yes, country. there is an issue. The issue is that no one quite knows what the level of sovereign debt is that causes GDP growth to start to sort of collapse. There's a general uh, consensus that when sovereign debt gets to very high levels, it can cause some of these emerging economies to just collapse and go into these inflationary spirals. But for a, co a country like Japan, you know, is it a hundred times, is it, is it one times GDP? Is it two times GDP? Mm. Is it two and a half times? Where is the level where the borrowing costs become uh, the issue? The, re the real issue here is that you have all these, all these groups sort of looking for retirement either from the state or from asset growth. And you have everyone at the same time kind of doing it. You have these people essentially going and saying, I, I want Social Security, and I want to pay this. And you have people who are working saying they're paying into Social Security and they want to take out eventually. Mm -hmm. And you have an aging population in some of these developed uh, countries. Sure. And you have increased debt. So someone somewhere is not going to get what they're expecting. Right. Right. You understand what I'm saying? So either the people who are expecting, and I don't want to say the Social Security is not going to get paid, but even the people expecting to be retiring on the government benefits or the people paying into the government benefits and expecting it when they retire, it's it's not sustainable. At so a certain level. At a certain debt, level, at a certain level, the debt becomes so large, the, the, the government can't continue to make the benefits available to everyone that is expecting them. So everyone's paying into this pot, which is the government, right. and they're expecting things out of it. They're expecting Social Security, they're expecting Medicaid, Medicaid, they're expecting all these benefits from the government. And if everyone keeps doing that, and what's happening is the government's doing this and doing all this stuff, and the debt keeps rising. Sure. So what that's telling you is that some point in time, they can't give what everyone is expecting out of it. And no one wants to kind of address this issue. And over long, over a very long period of time, it could be a negative. Uh, but uh, you know, in the short run, it's unclear what the debt levels need to be at before we start to see uh, GDP growth really start to uh, suffer. Okay. Uh, there, there is what what does happen though when debt gets too high in aggregate is that uh, investment in new activities growth starts to slow down. So if a company has a lot of debt. Just think about the corporation standpoint, they start servicing the debt with their cash flow instead of trying to grow with their cash flow. Okay. And so if the whole society has a lot of debt, then everyone kind of starts doing it. And there's just this transfer from the people borrowing the money to the people lending the money. And there is an issue over time. They, most likely, and I, I don't know, we, we, do we have much? No, we're okay. actually running out well, of time. Okay, we're running out of time. So we'll, we'll get to this after this. Most likely what's going to happen is the answer to all of this is inflation. If okay. there's inflation that materializes globally, the debt payments as a percentage of the income becomes lower. So again, the debt payments are not tied to inflation. Some of them are, okay, just pick this up. Uh, let's let's, let's pick it up after, oh. after the break at 30 seconds, or we'll that's go on right. to some other stuff. Oh, that's true. We'll do that too. Okay. We're listening to The Steady Investor uh, uh, for voiceamerica.com's business channel. We'll be right back after these messages. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
The Steady Investor Show is brought to you by Zach's Investment Management, a wealth management boutique formed over 23 years ago and manages several billions of dollars for thousands of customers. At Zach's, we believe acting in your best interest is our obligation. Zach's focuses on providing solutions and listening to our clients' needs. With trust in the financial industry at an all-time low, we find this focus to be a key differentiator for our firm. We're based in Chicago and have a team of advisor representatives located across the country to help you with your retirement planning. Whether you need help with financial planning or looking for a second opinion on your retirement plan, give us a call at 800-245-2934. Or to learn more, go to ZimWealth.com. Again, that number is 800-245-2934 or go to ZimWealth.com. Fast performance is no guarantee of future results. Potential for loss exists in any investment. Material is for informational purposes only. It is not investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice. A recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. No advice is given about a strategy's suitability for a particular investor. listening to The Steady Investor. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to cgaitan at zax.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to The Steady Investor, sponsored by Zach's Investment Management. This is Mark Vickery with Mitch Zach's Portfolio Manager and Founding Principal at Zach's Investment Management. Uh, Mitch, we were talking about um, uh, debt levels getting okay. uh, to, to scary, uh, well, I don't want to say scary. Scary, we're not really is, the trying wrong, to scare scary is the wrong word. You really, we wanted to kind of put a finer point on, like you were talking about Social Security and, and people okay, that are so paying in. You've got, you've got the, the, the governments throughout the world. Mm-hmm. are spending more than they're taking in in taxes right. continually. Mm-hmm. And the answer is that they issue uh, more debt. And so debt levels go up and up and up. And the IMF comes out and says debt levels are you know higher than they were prior to the financial crisis, and it's a concern. And the answer is what, what do you think is what is going to happen? And there really are only three possibilities. The governments, and let's just say collectively, developed countries around the world okay. can decrease uh, their spending mm-hmm. so they can give fewer benefits to people, uh, lower government spending. They can increase their taxes. The revenues. The revenues. Or they can uh, print money. Right. Right? So in one case, if you decrease what you're spending, everyone in the society gets very worked up people who are expecting pensions and social security and medical payments and all this stuff go go get very worked up sure and if you increase the taxes people get very worked up yeah right so there's all these political pressures that stop these uh, governments from increasing taxes and stop the governments from uh, issuing uh, you know from stop stopping transfer payments from stopping giving people benefits right so what's going to have to happen? is these debt, these super high debt levels have to be paid down or most likely are going to be paid down by having these companies uh, print money. And so what you're going to likely see is an uptick in inflation. Now, the issue is I've been calling for an uptick in inflation for a while. Sure. And if you've been listening, I've been changing my uh, my outlook slightly and saying maybe inflation is going to be very, very low because of automation, because of uh, labor force competition and all these other issues. But 
if you take a step back and you say, well, maybe the timing is off or this, how do how do governments deal with large debt levels relative to GDP? They don't usually increase taxes. They don't usually cut spending. What they usually happens is they print money and they 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 use that to pay down the debt. Sure. So your expectation, I have to believe, is for an increased inflationary environment to pay down the, all this government debt that's being issued, which should react, which should have a negative impact on fixed income securities and should ultimately be, you know, it won't have a positive impact on equities, but it'll affect equities less than fixed income securities. Okay. And the reason is if you, if you think about uh, the U.S. and all of a sudden there's inflation now of uh, one and a half or two, it goes up to three or four percent, and you put yourself in the in in uh, an owner of a of a company like Coca Cola. I like to use Coca Cola as an example because people can understand it. It's sure. a staple. Mm-hmm. Now you're paying more for the syrup, and you're selling the Coca Cola for more money, and you're paying more for the wages. And if everything goes up by the same amount, the margin stays the same, okay. and you still have a profit in inflated dollars. Right. Okay. Now, if you're an owner of Coca Cola's debt, uh, Coca Cola is saying we will pay you a fixed amount of money. 3%, 2% over the next X number of years, and all of a sudden inflation starts to happen. That money is now buying less, okay? Right. And right. so that bond will fall in value. So inflation, if it occurs equally throughout the society, will not have as great an impact on equity prices as it will on uh, bond prices. Okay. So the answer to what's going to likely happen with the IMF saying, you know, there's too much debt is that too much debt generally results in increased inflation, mm-hmm. and increased inflation generally results in a movement away from debt and fixed income to equities. And I think I actually I see this as what is likely to happen because we're sitting on a huge 30-year, I don't want to say bubble, but increase in uh, in how debt has performed relative to equities. Okay. So debt is at all-time highs. Equities are cheap, rel- is cheap relative to debt. If we start to see inflation, the movement out of debt starts to accelerate. Okay. And so that's kind of where I see this all uh, occurring effectively is that you would, and, and the, the counter argument to this okay. is that you don't see any whiff of inflation in anywhere in the fixed income markets. So if there was, if this inflation that I keep talking about was to materialize, the 10-year treasury would not be below 2%. Right. And someone would say, well, that's because the central bank is keeping the rates low and they're buying bonds, et cetera. I don't think the central bank can drive inflation of the society. I think the low inflation provides the cover to the central bank to com- to continue to stimulate the economy. So it's I think reflective. It's reflective. It's, it's like the low. In, it, it's not that the bank creates the inflation. The inflation allows the bank to engage in their monetary policy. Okay. So the first mover is the inflation in the society, not the central bank deciding what they can do. If there was inflation, the central bank couldn't keep stimulating the economy. And the question is, well, is there a reason for that inflation? And there are these reasons that seem to exist for why the inflation is is so low. Uh, but generally speaking, if you if you have an environment where inflation stays low, 
that's that's going to be positive for almost all asset prices going forward. And if you have an environment where, where inflation picks up, it's going to be negative for all asset prices when it's going to be the least negative for equities relative to fixed income. All right. So it would still be a good time to be in the U.S. stock market. It's, it's not a question of a good time to be in the U.S. stock market, a bad time. It's a question of the, you know, what, what I've explained, you know, the, the, the time it's a bad time, the time when equities really come under pressure is when you have inflation uh, occurring, when you have economic growth uh, decelerating. All right. So you have inflation <laughs> starting to pick up at the same time, for whatever reason, a recession hits. Right. That is when the stock market comes under pressure. Stock market does relatively well if you have inflation because you're having economic growth pick up. And, and that is the scenario I would anticipate materializing going forward. But where it, both are going up. Where both are going up. You have inflation going up and you have earnings going up. But again, the correct course of action is not to try and predict what economic scenario is going to occur. Okay. Because uh, e even if the worst case scenario occurs, it's transitory. It doesn't. It doesn't. It, it's not a permanent case. And eventually, what happens is you move out of it, and the market starts moving moving higher effectively. All right. Very so, good. so the the answer is you 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 want to you you don't know which scenario is going to materialize. But what you do know is that equities have this history of appreciating at a six to nine percent above the risk-free rate, right? And you want you want to just essentially bet on that over the long term. I think that's a good place to to end that particular part of the discussion. Um, if you're listening to the Steady Investor, you can call in to get a free stock market outlook, uh, and all you have to do is call this number one eight hundred two four five two nine four three. This is provided on a um, a bi-monthly basis, I believe, uh, <clears throat> and. Um, that's also the number, 800-245-2943, to call for more information about how to best invest your assets for retirement. Uh, and you can speak to a Zach's Investment Management representative right here in Chicago. Again, that number, 800-245-2943. Um, and uh, for more information, you can email us at ziminfo at zax.com or visit our website online, zimwealth.com. Okay, Mitch, let's, well, while we're in the thick of, okay. of, of, of things, Preferred stocks, not the easiest discussion to have, but I think a very important one. The S&P U.S. Preferred Stock Index has a yield currently of approximately 6%, and that's way better than corporate bonds, which right. is around 3, U.S. Treasuries, which we were saying under 2, so 1.7, let's say, right yeah. now, and the S&P 500, which is around 2% currently. Right. Um, now, preferred stocks, first of all, they're essentially a hybrid of stocks and bonds, and but they're... But, the high yield alone has attracted a lot of new capital, but if, capital, but it follows that the preferred stock segment might be overheating. What do you think about that? It, preferred stocks are an interesting asset class. There's two types of preferred stocks. There is what we consider sort of the perpetual preferred stock, which is your classic preferred stock where the company issues preferred and it has liquidation rights above the equity and the preferred gets the dividend before the equity gets the dividend, okay. and there are all sorts of rules on who gets paid the preferred and how the preferred converts. That is a minority of the preferred stocks that is out there right now. So a vast a, minority? A, not a vast minority, but it's a minority. The okay. majority of preferred stocks are bond instruments that are packaged in an equity wrapper and have a change in the payout structure to increase the yield to be attractive to individuals. Okay. So it is, you can't have, you know, if corporate bonds are paying 3% and the preferreds are paying 6% and it's the same companies, what is happening is the preferred is usually callable so that you're guaranteed to lose 3% on the principal 
Okay, so essentially, what you have you're talking three percent because you're saying that you're saying that the it, it's like this. It might be a preferred stock, and it's callable by the company at twenty five dollars. So the company at some point in time can go and pay twenty five dollars and take your stock away. All right, and the yield is uh, you know five percent, and the price is twenty six dollars. Okay, and it's callable four years from now. So okay. the, the the yield is six higher, but you're guaranteed. I mean, you're not guaranteed, but you're likely. That over that period, the price of that preferred is going to go from twenty six dollars to to twenty five dollars, based on what. The so so that right. That. So the so the sort of the to, the yield that you're going to realize if if you're taking the same credit risk as you are in the corporate bonds has to be the same sort of uh, yield that you would get on the corporate bonds. But the preferreds are structured in such a way that some of that comes as yield, but they give you as yield is offset by decreases in uh, preferreds. Okay. Where, where preferreds become interesting is that in periods of market stress, they don't trade like bonds. They trade like stocks because they're mostly owned by individual investors. So there are these opportunities when the market sells off, I believe, to enter the preferred market and buy preferred shares because the preferred shares are below what they what you would expect uh, based upon the underlying debt instruments. So it's it's there is no free lunch, especially in a low interest rate environment, which is a nice aphorism, but what I'm saying is that the, the 6% is a dividend yield, but if you actually look at the what's going to happen, you're going to have a lower total yield from own, owning that investment, and it has to be somewhere along the line is where bonds are effectively. Okay. There are equities also that have, I wouldn't say necessarily 6%, maybe there are a few out there, but still a, a decent uh, chunk I, of change. I, I think equities, you know, large cap dividend paying equities will outperform fixed income in investments over the next uh, a couple of years, effectively. So okay. I would I would rather own a multinational uh, company and own its equity than own a uh, the preferred stock of a uh, hybrid instrument, effectively. All right, all right. And so through mid uh, 2016, there were more than thirty billion dollars of new preferred stock issues. Um, do you find that that's problematic at all? The, the uh, there's an old uh, saying on Wall Street that you look where the IPO activity is and you you, you try not to go there if, if possible. Okay. And the reason is the IPO activity is where there there's active there's more demand than there is supply and Wall Street will not care what the instrument is they will just create more of it. If there's more demand than supply of uh, you know dot com companies they create more dot com companies. There's more demand than supply of credit uh, CDOs. They uh, credit, uh, you know. Uh, There's more demand they, for preferred stock issues. They, 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 they move there. So right. again, you you want to buy the thing they don't want to sell you, if that makes any sense. Okay. And so if you look at corporations, they don't want to sell you their equity. They're not going out and issuing IPO activity of equities. They want to sell you their bonds. Right. Right. So they want to issue bonds. They want to issue preferred stocks. They want to issue MLPs. They want to issue REITs. They want to issue anything with a high yield. So they really want to sell you things. Uh, you know, the sell side wants to sell things that have high yields, and the things that don't have high yields, they're, they're not. There's not a lot of uh, equity issuance. So right. that tells me you want to do the opposite of what Wall Street is trying to get you to do, if that makes any sense, sure. over long periods of time. It's interesting. So, so what Wall Street is trying to get you to do is buy higher income producing uh, instruments, because that's where the demand exceeds the supply. And so when that demand exceeds the supply, Wall Street meets that demand, and that's not quite where you want to be. So again, if you looked at what 
sectors IPO activity is happening in. And you kind of say, well, that's an interesting sector. There's probably a reason everyone wants to do that. It's not like that they're making uh, decisions uh, irrationally uh, because of growth or because of uh, low interest rates. But you want to kind of try and avoid it if possible. Okay. All right. Good. Now, there were some people that contacted uh, the study investor uh, over the week or through the week. And I wanted to read some questions to you. But first, I want to talk about one last thing. Before, okay. And we'll, we'll go to another break. And then maybe we'll address some of these questions that people have. Um, the, the Deutsche Bank, uh, or a strategist at Deutsche Bank, said the gold crash is just getting started. Um, gold looks to be 20 to 25 percent overvalued. So we're shifting gears here. Right. We're talking about uh, this commodity. Uh, a recovery in global growth could be the biggest catalyst for a downwards move. Um, do you think there is? What, how about that correlation? Do you think that's a that's a stretch? Do you? Or, how do you? view uh, the, the gold commodity at this I'm, point? I'm, I've never in, in my entire investment career been a very big proponent of gold. There have been periods when I've been right, there have been periods when I've been wrong, but I have been correct over you know the last 20 years that it, it was not a good idea. If you go back to you know 1995, uh, 1990, and you say, do you want to invest in gold or do you want to buy the S&P 500, even knowing the 2000 debacle is going to happen, 2008 is going to happen. Mm. You, you buy equities, you do much, much better than buying gold. Okay. So uh, generally speaking, I, I generally don't like gold, but the reason they're saying that is that when you have to think of what's called like the opportunity cost, when you buy gold, you're not getting, the money is not in the bank. So when the money's not in the bank, what are you not getting? You're, you're, you're not getting the interest payments that occur for having money in the bank. You're just getting you're just, you just the have a gold. Bar of gold to play with, and uh, well, I mean, I don't know what you know. You can Whatever stack you it. You could be Scrooge McDuck. I don't know what you want to do, but I'm not quite sure what you do with it. Yeah, right. There's no commercial use, so you, you, you can you can bury it. You could look at it. You know, you could buy a painting, maybe or a car. I don't know, but you well, just there's it, been, you know, we talk about the emerging markets such yeah. as uh, uh, India and China. Yes, there, there's a demand for jewelry and whatever. Right. But what happens is by not putting that money in the bank, you don't get any interest. Right. Now, if the bank's not paying you any interest. Like, why would I put my money in the bank? I'll take my money. I'll, I'll stack bars of gold in my in my uh, living room. Uh, but if the money, if the bank starts paying you 2%, 3% on your savings account, you're like, well, I can stack these bars of gold. And after 10 years, there's still those bars of gold there. Right. But if I had put the money in the bank, I would have 30% more money uh, than what I had before. So what they, I think what's driving this is the perception of a rising interest rate environment, making it harder to own gold over time. And uh, generally speaking, I, I would I would generally prefer like gold mining stocks towards owning physical gold because at least you're owning a company that's producing some some earnings. And right back in the equities market. And right back in the equities market. Well, I mean, so it's do they not, provide a uh, dividend yield as well? Gold a, a dividend yield and they're issued. Now they're very, they're highly leveraged to the price of gold. If gold goes down, they could get, they could get hit. But I, I just have a, it, it's very hard if, if we said, you know, Mark, go out and, and make a lot of money for yourself to say, go out and just uh, buy bars of silver and store them in your, your office and then sell the bars of silver 10 years later. Well, why do you think the silver is going to go up in price? Why do you think gold? Well, because when XYZ happened, it, it's much better if you're saying buy a metal that there's an industrial use for and we anticipate the industrial use is going to go higher than what 
people currently expect steel or copper. I yes. Guess so, iron the, or so, so, yeah. So it's very hard. I mean, do you? Uh, so, all well, right. I mean, I was just going to say that that's uh, what is the thing that Warren Buffett always talks about? Gold. We could fit in the size of a, of yeah, a, a swimming stadium. pool. A, a, swim, a swimming pool. pool. Yeah. I think it's two swimming pools or one swimming pool. That's all the gold there. But and you're reliant on someone else telling you it's worth more than you bought it. Right. So you're constantly there's no intrinsic value. Right. That's right. right. So so let's let's say there's there is crazy inflation. If you own Coca-Cola stock and you get the dividends of Coca-Cola, they, what they're selling it for is no longer in dollars. It's in hyper dollars. What they're paying labor for is no longer in dollars. It's in hyper dollars. Your dividend payment is no longer in dollars. It's in hyper dollars. And you go out and you buy things in hyper dollars. So you're, you're hedged against growth that occurs. Uh, gold, you're, you're dependent upon, you know, there, there being some sort of, uh, demand for this just because there's a limited supply. There's a lot of things that have limited supply. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 I don't see how the demand changes over time effectively. Okay. So, so what they could say is, well, there's a limited supply. It stores value. And so they're doing it. But you could also say that the government decides in 10 years to reduce its gold stockpiles. And now there's massive supply. Right. And so so you're, you're highly dependent upon what these central banks do. You're highly dependent upon just sort of uh, – animal spirits driving demand. Whereas if you if you have a company, you have dividend payments and earnings that company is, is generating, there's a value to that over time effectively. Very good. You're listening to The Steady Investor, sponsored by Zacks Investment Management. This is Mark Vickery with the co-host Mitch Zacks, the portfolio manager and founding principal at Zacks Investment Management. We're going to take another short break and then take some, uh, some inquiries from uh, people who have gotten in contact with us over the week. And uh, we'll be right back after these messages. Thank you. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The Steady Investor Show is brought to you by Zach's Investment Management, a wealth management boutique formed over 23 years ago and manages several billions of dollars for thousands of customers. At Zach's, we believe acting in your best interest is our obligation. Zach's focuses on providing solutions and listening to our clients' needs. With trust in the financial industry at an all-time low, we find this focus to be a key differentiator for our firm. We're based in Chicago and have a team of advisor representatives located across the country to help you with your retirement planning. Whether you need help with financial planning or looking for a second opinion on your retirement plan, give us a call at 800-245-2934. Or to learn more, go to ZimWealth.com. Again, that number is 800-245-2934 or go to ZimWealth.com. Fast performance is no guarantee of future results. Potential for loss exists in any investment. Material is for informational purposes only. It is not investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice. A recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. No advice is given about a strategy's suitability for a particular investor. listening to The Steady Investor. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to cgaitan at zax.com. Now, back to the show. Thank you for staying with us at The Steady Investor, sponsored by Zax Investment Management. This is Mark Vickery. Um, we're having a nice conversation with Mitch Zacks, portfolio manager and founding principal at Zacks Investment Management. 
Uh, Mitch, we had some contact with people who were listening to the Steady Investor. Okay. I uh, don't know how, if they're regular listeners or if it was the first time, uh, but uh, we've got uh, some inquiries here. Uh, I would like to be just go ahead and read uh, okay. what somebody has a question for you on and, and see what you have to say about it. Um, I'm a single parent with 350K in available assets and have a nine-year-old son looking to set money aside for college while growing my retirement. I'm fine with risk exposure and I'm looking for long-term growth. By the way, I'm 39. Okay. Um, what would you say uh, to this person? I don't know what his or her name is. Actually. Okay. Well, this is a, uh, you know, what what we what I would say to this sort of hypothetical, and this is like a conglomeration of like questions we've got. There might be a, oh, an actual okay. person or something like that. But right. I just so let's 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 just say it. You know, it's it's someone in this sort of hypothetical vein of someone who's 39 years old and has uh, 350 thousand dollars in liquid assets and all this other stuff. What would be the allocation? Uh, what what you what you have to understand is why are they trying to uh, put why are they trying to invest? Okay? okay, so let's say that they're trying to invest because they want to set aside money for their uh, children uh, to go to college. Mm -hmm. uh, they have three kids. Uh, each child is going to require uh, you know uh, private schooling at for college, and so they're looking to spend maybe four hundred fifty thousand dollars in educational expenses. Right, uh, and they only have three hundred sixty thousand dollars prior to retirement. Prior to retirement, right. so they're saying okay, they have some pension, they have retirement taken care of. You know, otherwise you get you have to get into a discussion of whether you're better off uh, paying for the educational expense or you're better off saving for retirement. And there's some issues there, but let's just assume that the retirement is taken care of because of a pension and they have $350,000 and they're trying to save enough to send three children to college at $400,000 or something of right. that sort. Um, what you want to do in that case is the most important thing is to try and grow the assets over time. And the best way to do that is with equity exposure. So I would look at that and say, uh, you know, generally speaking, about an 85% U.S. equity uh, allocation and maybe about a 15% uh, international equity allocation. And on the U.S. side, I would uh, give it a breakdown uh, between sort of large cap value, large cap growth, and maybe about 35 to 40% in small and mid cap stocks. Okay. Uh, either broken up 20% small cap, 20% mid cap, 15% uh, small cap, 20% mid cap, things of that sort. So you, you want to make sure if your goal is appreciation over time that you try and get as much into equities as you possibly can. And in this instance, the, the children aren't going to need the money for 18 years, assuming they're young kids, or let's say 18 to 14 years. Well, let's so, say, let's say a, a decade from now. A decade from now. If it's a decade from now, you want you, you, you're, I'm comfortable giving an all-equity exposure. Now, if this person is then saying, well, no, they need this money to retire on, yeah. and they're you know older, having some fixed income in there makes, makes more sense. To mitigate But if risk, you're yeah. trying to... Janet, go from three hundred fifty thousand dollars to four hundred thousand dollars, and uh, you know have and, and and have some left over going into the fixed income market right now. We we know won't do it because we know that if you get no credit risk and you go into U.S. ten-year Treasuries, you'll make one point five, let's say two percent over a year period. Over a ten-year period, uh, you would generate maybe twenty percent. Is what you would expect. If the equity market can generate an annualized return of, let's say, 7%, 7.2%, which is historic. which is historically about where it can do, over a 10-year period, if you can do that, keep your fees low, as we try and do at Zach's, uh, try not to get uh, shaken out from news events, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's not unreasonable to expect that money to double 
from 350,000 to 700,000. And that's not overnight. And that's not uh, next week. And it's not next month. But for the money to go, if you generate a 7.2% annualized rate of return for a 10 year period, and you take your dividends and you reinvest it, and you take everything and you compound it over time, you will uh, double your, your principal. And so you go from 350 to 700, you pay off the $400,000 in college debt, and you have $300,000 left over. The other alternative is you, you get nervous about the market. You say, well, this is going to happen. That is going to happen. You know, I'm concerned about whether we're going to run out of money. I'm concerned about this. You, keep the, you put the $350,000 in fixed income, and you'll have $420,000 at the end of that 10-year period. Quite a big difference. Right. But what I can say is that it's psychologically very difficult to take the 350, put it in the equity markets, and let it grow for a 10-year period. But because at some point in time, you're going to have a correction. You're going to have a bear market over a 10-year period. It's almost a given. And during that period of time, you, you can see your the principal dropped uh, significantly. And what will happen is that growth to 720 will occur incrementally. So you'll see all your losses occur very, very large and uh, you know very very in very small amounts of time period mm-hmm. but you'll see your gains sort of be very small and distributed over long periods of time so which you sell the market which is how the market works so generally speaking that is sort of the allocation that that you would be looking for and your goal would be to work with someone to try and get that return as high as you possibly can and to work with someone to help you stay in the market over that period of time. All right, good, forth. good. And this is one that came in uh, via email, which okay. by the way, if you want uh, to contact us via email, you can uh, send us, uh, you can go to, z- uh, send us an email at ziminfo at zax.com. Uh, you can also call in, oh, and this is also the number to get the free stock market outlook, 1-800-245-2943. Um, and the next question, my friends are recommending putting money into dividend stocks. Yes. Can you tell me what they are and where to get them? Sure. Uh, you know, we do have a dividend strategy at Zacks that has performed extremely well over the time uh, horizon. Uh, it, you know, outperformed its uh, benchmark over a three-year, five-year, and seven-year, and even a, a 10-year period uh, in terms of its benchmark being the Russell 1000 value. Right. Mm-hmm. It has a yield of about 33 3.4% versus about 2.5% uh, for the Russell 1000 value. Okay. So in a low interest rate environment, if you can give a bias towards stocks that have a higher than average dividend yield, but are not in these sort of bond uh, substitute categories, I think you can generate a very, very nice rate of return. And with the uh, with, with with effectively, uh, you know, the the world economy being relatively slow, multinationals as that picks up uh, could conceivably do a little bit better. Multinationals. Multinationals. So. The, 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 the domestic Russell two thousand stocks probably won't benefit from a growing a world economy. They sort of benefit from a sort of a higher dollar, uh, but a lower dollar sort of benefits. Uh, U- U.S. companies. So, like, you see, I mean, there's all this indicated right. the pound's falling to all-time lows right. because of Brexit. Uh, so what does this really mean? That really means that if a U.S. multinational is competing against a British multinational, mm-hmm. the British multinational, uh, and they're selling the same good, uh, the British multinational uh, makes more money when those goods and dollars are translated into pounds, All right. and it's a more attractive in terms of competition. So again, it, it, the, if I expect, I, w- I would, I look at the British pound relative to the U.S. dollar and say, yes, it's at all-time lows. Where do you expect it to be five years from now? 
Yeah. Right. I, I wouldn't expect it to be at all time lows five years from now. I right. expect it to rally a little bit, <laughs> and that should help U.S. multinationals that are competing against British firms. I mean, it's a, under a dollar thirty right now. If I'm, I, I think it's say. like a dollar twenty five or yeah. something. I, I haven't looked at uh, very, imagine that. Right. So it's it's a good time to take a take a uh, vacation to Great Britain if you if you have not seen That's Big true Ben too. yet. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Here's another question: Should I wait for the election to invest? That much, I, I it is very clear. You you, you should not. Uh, wait till the election. If I, if anything, as I explained in this uh, webinar we did yesterday, and if you'd like to get a copy of it, uh, call in and or send an email, and we can get you a copy. Sure. But basically, the current uh, expectations is for a Clinton win, let's say sixty-seven percent likelihood, a Trump win, about thirty-three percent likelihood. It's mm -hmm. probably uh, falling a little bit with the Trump win. If Trump wins, we're likely to see the market sell off. Uh, by about five to seven percent. If Clinton wins, the market will likely rally about four percent. So if everything plays out as that's a near term, and that's in the near term. So then the reason is the market discounts the the Clinton scenario and the Trump scenario based on the percentage chances. So the expected rate of return is about in keeping with the with the risk premium, which is what you would expect the the stock market to appreciate on a monthly basis. Because you know whether you're expecting a three percent return or a six percent return. Uh, you know, the difference is uh, 30 basis points per month versus 50 basis points per month. It's not that much. So the difference in the scenario has to be in such a way that the market is uh, the expected rate of return of the market is in this 30 to 50 basis point expected rate of return. And so if you look at the probabilities of these two candidates winning, you can back out what you would expect the market to happen. So there's I would say that as a result of that. So what happens if, if, if this one wins or if that one wins? Uh, the most likely scenario is you're not going to see a Trump presidency and the market would rally a little bit. Now, if that becomes more likely as we get closer to the election, mm -hmm. the effect will be more muted. So if going into the election, they are neck and neck and then Clinton wins, you would expect a huge movement for the market. If going into the election, it's 90, 10 percent, the polling information, uh, you'd expect a much more muted uh, effect in the market. Because that's already been traded. Upon. Because it's already been traded upon. It's already been reflected in the stock price. And then, you know, doing this research, we see that the market reacts uh, to this about 10 days, 7 to 10 days before the polling information changes. Oh, that's interesting. And so you could say some of the strength, you know, uh, we'll see what happens, but it's not enough of a issue that it should delay investing. And the expectation I would actually say is that the election should be a positive for the market unless there's an upset or something occurs that people are not expecting. Right. Well, if you remember, Brexit only had a one in three chance of passing, too. And then so, so what happened? So but Brexit was different because Brexit was a net positive uh, for U.S. corporations, effectively. Well, that's true. Right. Because it caused interest rates to, to fall and it caused, uh, you know, it basically caused the Fed to go on hold for a longer period of time. Without raising rates. Without that's raising correct. rates. That's correct. Okay, last question here. Do I need to worry about Deutsche Bank in Germany and its effects? I am concerned about Deutsche Bank in Germany, but my general, if I take a step back, I realize that what is happening is the market and the and, and sort of the, pol the political structure is always fighting the last war. And the last war was a collapse of Lehman Brothers, causing this domino effect, mm -hmm. etc. Uh, that looms very large in everyone's mind. And as soon as you see just a little bit of that pattern reemerging, your everyone's brain is trained to say pattern recognition. Okay, this is exactly what happened in 2007-2008. The risks that will affect the market are not the risks we are prepared for. 
and it's not the risks that everyone is expecting because those risks people have discounted and have prepared for that potential uh, event occurring. Okay. It's the unexpected events that drive the market into a recession, uh, that drive the economy into recession, that cause a collapse of the stock market. Deutsche Bank isn't an unexpected event. There's too much attention placed on it and there's too much worry about it for it to be an event that's going to affect the market. If you go back to 2007, yes, there were these few traders and they were known maybe after the effect that maybe they got lucky and maybe they really saw the future, but there wasn't this conventional wisdom, okay, we really should be concerned that housing prices are going to fall and they've created all these derivative instruments. The, the events that affect the market are not the events that people are generally worried about, with the exception of when the, the events are valuation-driven. When the, when the market uh, problems are driven because valuations are too high, people will start talking about it, but usually it'll be dismissed by someone before the event actually occurs. So I'm not that worried about Deutsche Bank because everyone is aware of it, and I'm positive the European Central Bank is going to do whatever it can to prevent that from happening because of what happened with Lehman Brothers is is looming so large in their mind. Very good. If you didn't have Lehman Brothers or something, you would be more concerned about it. Okay, we'll have to leave it there. Mitch Zacks, as, as always, right. a pleasure talking to you. We'll be back next week for The Steady Investor here on voiceamerica.com's business channel. Thank you for being with us. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in this week. Be sure to join Mitch Zacks and Mark Vickery for another edition of The Steady Investor next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you haven't started your retirement plan yet, what are you waiting for? Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 